Welcome. <laughs> hey, it's having trouble with my battery today, but it looks like it's charged, so worked out really good. All right, well, welcome to Wednesday night service. Woo! I know, right? Yeah, I like Wednesday. I've always loved Wednesday night service. You know, it's kind of Sunday mornings, kind of yeah, like visitor time. Wednesday nights, like family time, right? So. Um, let's just open up with a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you for, um, the power of your Holy Spirit in our life. God, thank you for the power of your word in our life, God, to come and that you will do great things, Lord, when we allow you to God, you will do great things in our midst when we receive your word, God, Lord, I just ask that you prepare our hearts and minds for this word tonight, Father God, that we would receive it with joy, God, and bring forth fruit for your kingdom, Lord. Speak through me tonight, Father God. Let the Holy Spirit minister as you do, Lord. We just give you praises, glory, and honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, so we're continuing in the book of Hebrews. So I'm um, uh, where uh, Pastor Kevin left off. I'm reading um, Hebrews chapter 4. I'm reading verses 12 and 13. And so it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All right. In in closing. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So what 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 I want to talk about, right, is are you a legitimate son or are you an illegitimate son? And as I get into this, I'm going to break it down and show you what a legitimate son of God looks like and what an illegitimate son of God looks like. The title is, Are You Legit? I was going to say too legit to quit, but you know, I was like, I, I don't know, man, it's pushing it. So in the following scripture, so um, this scripture, right, is speaking to that disobedient generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt. It's the Exodus generation that were disobedient. So we see here in verse 12, it says for the word of God, it's connecting it directly to verse 11 and verse 11 says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So What we have here then is warnings, right? And and we we, I talked about this last time I preached that in Hebrew, there's a bunch of warning scriptures in Hebrews, okay? There's a bunch of warning scriptures in Hebrews. So um, uh, oftentimes people like to use verse 12 as a standalone scripture to talk about the word of God and that it's powerful, right? The word of God is powerful and it's living and it can do this and that. It's just power. The word of God is so powerful. But specifically here 
It is referencing the power of God's word, but it's to do something. It's the power of God's word to correct. So you can't take things that this is why it's very important to keep everything in context. You know, and, and, and yes, it's great. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharp into his sword. And people use that all the time. And yeah, we're going to go do this and we're going to do that. But they're using it out of context. It's specifically talking about the word's ability to correct the sons of God. And not be like the disobedient generation that came out of Egypt. The difference between being legitimate and illegitimate is that the legitimate sons have all the rights and authorities. Illegitimate children do not. So the scripture says we are to be diligent to enter that rest. And, 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 and then it goes on to say how not by that disobedience of that rebellious generation, but by the word of God. But by allowing the word of God to come into our lives like that double-edged sword, right? It's precise as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting away that which offends God and has the potential to harm us. Most of the time when you go under uh, surgery, anybody ever had surgery here? I've had a few surgeries. My husband's never even been knocked out from surgery, so... (laughs) I've I've been through a few, and it's always to cut something bad out. There's an organ failing. There's a cancer that needs to be cut out, right? So that the scalpel is so sure, right? The word of God is so sure. It's cutting off that offends God so that we can be made perfect, It's something that has potential to harm us, right? This word of God, now it's not referring to Jesus as the logos. That's not what it means here, right? Logos is the word made flesh. We know that Jesus was the word and the word became God. And so people say, well, that word of God is Jesus. Not specifically here. This is, this translation means the word that God speaks. The word that God speaks, okay? So it's what God speaks, whether it's a promise or a warning, whether it's the law or gospel, whether it's a declaration or a statement. The idea then is what God has said, right? As a scalpel, it is suited to detect hypocrisy and to lay open the true nature of the feelings of our soul. So that there can be no escape for the guilty. His truth, his word is adapted to bring out our real feelings to show man exactly what he is. Right? Um, I, and, and, you know, if anybody knows me, it's one of the reasons I love to teach God's word is because I love the word of God. I love God's word. It is, uh, it's a power to transform a life. I love the word of God. You know, I remember uh, Amanda Mott, remember one time she was looking at me, she's like, man, it's like you have a love affair with God's word. And I'm like, I really do. I love God's word. I love sitting and reading the word of God and ingesting the word of God, right? Because it's the power to transform. It's the power that transformed. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind, renewing your mind to what? 
to the word of God. And James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. So when we hear the word, when we read the word and we don't do what it says, we deceive ourselves. It's what James says. If you're not applying it, you deceive yourself. There are lots of people being deceived right now by themselves. The word of God has this power, whether it's preached, whether it's read, whether it's communicated by conversation, whether it's impressed upon us by the Holy Spirit. There's no escape from that penetrating, searching application of God's word. The truth has power to show what man is and is like a penetrating sword that lays open the whole man. We cannot escape the notice of God. That means all insincerity, any unbelief, any hypocrisy will be detected by him. And since our hearts are perfectly open before him, we should be sincere and should not attempt to deceive him. The truth of God is all penetrating and searching the real thoughts and intents of the heart. The real thoughts and intents of the heart will be brought to light. And if there is any insincerity or self-deception, there's no hope of escape. The word is quick, means it's living. It's not dead and powerless. It has living power. It's energetic and it's active. And so it's adapted to produce a living effect in the lives of the people that apply it. You know, I was talking to Pastor John the other day and, um, me and, me and Faith were talking on the phone right there because Matt, you know, Pastor Matt was talking to him and he's like, I got to go do something here. Talk to Pastor John. And he just puts the phone right down in front of me and Matt. And so, Hey, Pastor John, how are you doing? What's going on? You know, and he, 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 you know, y'all know that he had a stroke a while ago and man, I said, Pastor John, you sound like yourself. I mean, it was a huge miracle, everything that happened through him. And he walked through this thing and it's like, man, Pastor John, you sound like yourself. And I, and I told him, I said, you know, um, pastor, I said, I knew you were going to come out of this. I said, I knew you were going to come out of this because it was two days before he had his stroke. I had a word for him and I told him that, um, he was an end time general and that his church was a battle church. And that whatever was going on, they were going to come out of this strong. And that was before he had a stroke. And I said, I said, I knew you were going to come out of it. I never doubted it. And he said, sister, he said, you know, sometimes you can hear things and not receive it. And we do that a lot with God's word. Oh, we hear, I hear what you're telling me, but I don't, I don't want to receive that. It has to be received. It's powerful. It's mighty. It's power seen in awakening our conscience, alarming the fears, laying bare the secrets of our heart. And it causes the sinner to tremble with apprehension of the coming judgment. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It literally means two-mouthed sword. The word mouth is given to the sword because it devours all before it. 
It consumes or destroys as a lion consumes its prey. That's what it means by two mouth sword. And the comparison of the word of God to a sword is designed to show that has power that penetrates the heart. Revelation 116, it says, this is talking about Jesus. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So the word that Jesus speaks is the word of God. And so the word comes out of his mouth. So the idea is that it's piercing, it's penetrating. The word of God reaches our heart, right? And the heart is that very center of our action. And so it lays open our motives and our feelings. This is the power of the word. It's the power of destroying the hopes of sin. Right? Sin has hope in it. Oh, come and do this. Come here. If you do this, right? Sin has hopes. So the word destroys the hope of sin. And it cuts under conviction. Sword that pierces the heart. And all things are naked and laid open before God, right? This is an expression that's to the illusion of the sacrificial burnt offerings that were laid on the altar. They were stripped of their skins, their breasts ripped open, the bowels were taken out, their backbone was cleft from the down, the neck down, right? And so everything both inside and outside then of that sacrificial animal was exposed to open view, particularly to the eye of the priest, right? And Jesus being our high priest in Leviticus, it, it talks of this. Uh, verses five and six of chapter one, he shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces and being found without blemish, they were laid in their natural order on the altar and burned. Okay. Oh, I went on to the next one. That's fine. So the, 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 what he's saying here, like everything's laid naked. We are like that sacrificial altar. We are open before him that everything in us, everything out of us, God sees, yeah. right? And, and you know, um, uh, I love the sermon on Sunday, right? Pastor Matt time out of Egypt, I've called my son. If you notice there's patterns in scripture that God follows a pattern when he does things. There's a pattern for the temple on earth and it follows the same pattern for the temple in heaven. So this is here, right? That we are laid bare. We are open before him. So that means there's no kind of, there's no infidelity. There's no hypocrisy. There's no worldly mindedness. There's no covetous or pride or ambition or any sinful disposition that we can conceal from him. We're laid bare before him. Now we think we can because we, what we deceive ourselves. We think we're hiding things from God and we say, oh no, that's not me. And that's, I don't, I don't think like that or I don't do that. But when it comes to the word of God and we look at the word and if, if, when it begins to convict us and begins to expose that in our heart, if we don't receive it, we push it away. The Bible says we deceive ourselves. The Lord is revealing those things in us. 
And if you're a human and you've been here for any length of time, there's still stuff to be worked out of us. We're we're not perfected yet. We're, We're in this process of being perfected and being sanctified, you know, and I can tell you myself, there's been times, you know, uh, uh, I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I, and, and something comes up or whatever. And I have a wicked thought and I'm like, where did that come from? I thought I got rid of that. I thought that was long done away with. And the Lord said, no, you just pushed it down. And now something came and it brought that jealousy back up. It brought that greed back up. The Lord's like, I don't, I don't want you to push it down. I want to cut it out. See, there's a way to determine whether or not a Christian is just immature or whether or not they are rebellious. Because uh, uh, they both look the same and act the same sometimes. An immature Christian, right? This toddlers throwing fits. What about me? Gimme, gimme, gimme running around, right? They fall a lot. Here's the way you can tell an immature Christian will receive correction from the word of God. A rebellious one will not. Folks, there is a high cost for disobedience. There's a high cost for disobedience. Peter says, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And for some reason, holiness has really been left out of the gospel. At least the last probably 30 years. And he says, But he who called you is holy. You also must be holy in all your conduct as obedient children. As obedient children, we obey God and are holy in our conduct. Now the Holy Spirit makes us holy and enables us to act holy. You have a job in this, in acting holy in your conduct. And when you, when you read the word of God, where it says, don't let any foolish talking come out of your mouth. And you look at that and you say, what's coming out of my mouth? Am I cussing? Is there foolish talking, foolish jesting? What's coming out of my mouth? Is this holy conduct? Because... The word of God says I should be holy in all my conduct. And so we read that scripture and we don't do what it says. We hear it. I hear you. But we don't do what it says and we walk away. And the Bible says we deceive ourselves. Because the word of God discovers our real condition. So how do you receive God's word? How do you receive preaching that convicts? How do you receive something you do not like or want to hear? I tell people this all the time. There's lots of things in scripture I don't like. (laughs) 
things I don't like. But it doesn't make it true and it doesn't make it less that I don't have to obey what God's word says. There's a lot of things I don't like. A lot of people, when they hear something, they automatically think about, oh, that's for so-and-so. They start looking around, are they here? I don't see him here. That works for you. I'm texting them when I get home. (laughs) And, and, you know, it might be for someone else too, but it's for you. See, and this is what a lot of people do, right? As people, man, they jump ship. The word of God exposes something. There's something that's exposed in them in a church. And so they... They, they leave, they jump ship, they go somewhere else where nobody else knows their rebellion. So they can just keep doing what they've been doing. They heard the word. They didn't receive the word. Hebrews 5, 8, 9 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So we see Jesus is the obedient one, that true faith and oneness with him are evidence by the fruit of obedience in our life. Hebrews 12, 8. But if you are without chastening, this word chastening means discipline, correction, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So if you do not receive correction, you are illegitimate. That's what he's saying. If you receive correction, you're legitimate. You have all rights and authority. Correction plus obedience equals sonship. Because how we respond to God's word displays whether or not we're an illegitimate child of God or not. Whether we're legitimate or illegitimate. This is why, parents, we need to teach our kids to obey and receive correction. You have to. Teach your kids to obey. Teach them to receive correction. Because, listen, I've been serving God now for, I don't know, I think 27 years. And God will use whatever means necessary to correct us. You better believe it. He uses scripture. He uses the preaching of the word of God. He uses teaching. He uses pastors. He uses other people. And sometimes he even uses people we don't like. That's how you know, too, if you receive correction, if it's from someone you don't like. And how you respond reveals whether or not you're a son. Because correction by its, by, by its sheer nature is godly because it implies that you are loved and cared for by the Father. Correction by its sheer nature is godly and it implies that you are loved and cared for by the Father. He loves me enough to correct me. The Bible, cause, cause if you go on further, and I didn't want to get too much into that cause we're in Hebrews and we're going to, we're going to get to that, um, scripture at some point, but the, but it goes on to say that if you don't receive correction, 
You're not a son because the father corrects those he loves. He loves us. So he corrects us. He has to because he's a good father. So I should say a lot of parents that don't want to correct their kids. I'm not going to say that again. (laughs) (laughs) Parents love your kids enough to correct them. You know, um, and and in our church, we always have a plan of restoration when someone sits in the body. We always do. But more often than than not, the person does not want to receive correction. And often the embarrassment that can, can accompany correction because how many of y'all know that with correction sometimes comes embarrassment and there's a, there's a, an er, there's an errant teaching out there that says, well, I don't want to embarrass anybody and God doesn't embarrass us. And I'm like, that's a lie. That's a lie. Embarrassment produces a sting that says, I don't want to ever do that again. I don't want to ever do that again. You know, I, and in my life, I've had to apologize more times than I can count, you know, for a rude or sinful behavior. I don't know, whatever. And, and quite frankly, it's always embarrassing to have to apologize. You know, it's always embarrassing to have to apologize. You know, I can tell you so many times, you know, I, I would tell my, my kids, you know, they did something and I say, you need to go apologize to them. First of all, if you don't make your kids apologize when they did something, you, you really lack value for the person that was wronged. Your kid lacks value for the person that was wronged, you know? So telling my kids and they're like, oh, I'm, I, that's embarrassing. I don't want to do that. And I'm like, good. You need to be embarrassed. You need to feel the sting of embarrassment. Why? Because that, that really has a, 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 it's a refining process. Of bringing forth a pure vessel for the Lord. Discipline's not meant to feel good. I, I don't know what part of discipline or correction to you sounds like. Well, that should, that sounds like fun to me. Let me sign up for that. I want that class. Lord, sign me up for discipline. <laughs> Matthew 4, 4. Says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus said this, right? He said, you live by every word. That's every word that God speaks. That's the written word. Isaiah 48 says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. So the word stands forever. And then second Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God means all scriptures. God breathed. That's what it means. So all scripture is that which God speaks. So we can trust it. And people say, well, man wrote the Bible and you know, I've heard all the things and I'm like, do you not think that my God is big enough and strong enough and faithfulness to preserve his word down through the centuries to come to right now, the people right now that need the word of God. It's been preserved. For me, it's given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine to the word of God. There's doctrine that you can follow in there for reproof. Oh, there's one we don't like for correction. There's another one we don't like 
for instruction in righteousness. Probably don't like that one either. (laughs) That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good word, work, sorry. All script, all scripture, all scripture has a purpose. It's profitable. It's doing something in me. And scripture was not just given to record his promises and faithfulness, but to reprove, to correct, to instruct his children. Why? Because we are prone to wander. Sheep are prone to wander. I mean, anybody uh, ask pastor Todd, he knows about sheep. Sheep are dumb. (laughs) True story. Sheep are very dumb animals. That's why the sheep, but they're very gentle. We're prone to wander. We need the rod and reproof. We need that. Some of us need it more than others. (laughs) Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the others. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) You know, cause that some, some people, man, they learn it the first time they get it the easy way. They, they just obey. But some of us a little more hard headed. (laughs) That's why I say there's immature Christians. We're hard headed. We, we, you know, but we keep getting in line. We keep getting in line. We keep getting in line. Okay, God, I hear you. I hear you. The rebellious don't do that. Romans 8, 12 through 14 says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to live after the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. This means this, this means eternal death, not physical death. He's not talking about physical death. We all are appointed to to die once. He's talking about eternal death. So if you live according to that fleshly way, which is what the word of God is, is to crucify our flesh. So he says, but if you through the spirit put to deeds, the death of the body, you will live for many as led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. So the Holy spirit then leads us into obeying the word of God. A lot of people, you know, will use that as a willy nilly scripture to say, I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. They're all willy nilly. And I'm like, well, you're not obeying the word of God. The Holy Spirit wrote the word. The, 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 the word of God was written by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's not leading you in this direction. That's away from the word of God and said, I'm being led by the spirit. These two are inseparable. And we see that continuing to live a life of sin is not compatible with being a son of God. A legitimate son obeys God's word. We're led by the spirit. We receive correction. An illegitimate one does not and refuses to receive correction. The word reshapes our thinking, our attitudes, our actions. As we read scripture, we ponder the word. We compare it to other scriptures, right? The word is our plumb line. That's the standard. I always say that there's a standard. The word is our standard. Because people always want to find loopholes. They always do. They always want to find loopholes. But this, but that. There's a standard. Does God give you loopholes? Sometimes. But we want the loophole. We don't want the standard. Psalm 138 two says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. 
You know, uh, it was funny that this came up in my Bible study yesterday. And so if you listen to my Bible study, you're going to hear this again. What, what, what this scripture is saying is that God's word is magnified above all of his characteristics of his name. So everything that's in his name, we say God is faithful and God is merciful and God is good and God is kind. And he says, I have elevated my word above all that I am. Because it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden where the devil, where the devil came to tell Eve, right? Did God really say this? See, and what we do is that we want to elevate his character above his word. And we read something, we say, well, you know what? God would never do that because he is merciful. God would never do that because he's kind. God would never do that. So we elevate his character above his word. And the Bible declares that he has elevated his word above all his name, above all his attributes. And we know that who he is is great and mighty and magnificent. So how much higher is his word than that? A lukewarm mindset picks and chooses which scriptures they want to obey. And James tells us that when we hear and do not obey, we deceive ourselves. Right? We, 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 we do this all the time. We say God is merciful. He is long-suffering. He is quick to forgive. And he is all these things. But we put these ahead of what he says about something. And we forget that God said he is faithful to do what he said he would do. He's faithful to watch over his word to accomplish it. So we disobey his word and we deceive ourselves into believing we are okay. And the Bible tells us that in the latter days, deception would be so prevalent Even among God's people, the very elect would be deceived. Why? And I believe it's this, because we deceive ourselves. Because we hear the word, but we don't really want to do it. And we read something, we say, no, 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 no. God is love. God is merciful. God is good. God is kind. God is mighty. And he is. But he's going to do what he said he would do. And we, we call him a liar when we don't obey his word. I have here some questions that you, to allow the word to examine you as you're going through them. And we're going to apply some of these scriptures tonight. So in Psalm 27, one, this is one of my favorite scriptures. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So you ask yourself, is God's spirit applying this verse to my life in personal situation right now? Ask yourself that. If God is the light, if God is your light and your salvation, whom shall you fear? He's applying that right now. Whom shall you fear? That means whom shall you fear? If God is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? That means of whom shall I be afraid? Of what shall I be afraid? Of a virus? Of an army? Of the government? Uh, Of rioting in the streets? 
Whom shall I fear? That's what it means. Whom shall I fear? So if you're in fear, you have to say, why am I in fear? This is meant, the word of God's meant to be applied to our life. It's not just there for fun. It's not there just to make you feel good. It's instruction in righteousness. Is this passage revealing a particular sin I must strive to avoid? I don't know. Are you walking in fear? Is God issuing a command I must obey? Is my spirit in harmony with what the Holy Spirit is saying? Is the passage expressing a truth about God, salvation, sin, the world, or my personal obedience on which I need to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit? This is how you study scripture. Matthew 10, 37 and 38. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So we read that and we apply that to our lives. Is God's spirit applying this to my life and personal situation right now? And you have to examine yourself, examine your heart. Do I love others more than I love him? Am I preferring others more than I prefer him? Is there a promise here for me to claim? Is this passage revealing a particular sin I must strive to avoid? Is God issuing a command I must obey? Is my spirit in harmony with what the Holy Spirit is saying? Let's go on. Here's fun for you. Matthew 19, 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. God, uh, stop, sorry. It got really quiet. You know, and I bring this up because divorce is rampant in the church. Now, if you're in the world, it doesn't matter. But when we read that, we have to say, oh man, am I committing adultery because I, I didn't do it God's way? Do I need to repent for something? You know, because listen, when, when people are married two or three, four times and call themselves a Christian, there's a problem in the church. And there's a problem when, when things like this aren't talked about, when they aren't addressed in our own lives. And we have to look at that and say, wow, Lord, if I've been divorced, am I forgiven? Did I, did I repent of that? Or I just sweep it under the rug and just went on and married someone else and then swept it on and married someone else and then swept it on and married someone else. Everybody got really quiet on this one. This is the word of God. The word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts to the heart and it fillets us. And it says, Lord, have I sinned before you? Here's a fun one too. (laughs) Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some... But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So much more as you see the day approaching. And so you have to look at that. 
right? And, and, and this is how we deceive ourselves, folks. So we read this and we're like, well, you know, I don't want to go. I might get sick. I might do this or this is going on or this or going on now. You know, there's, there's, listen, there, there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, reasons to miss church. Some people have to work on Sundays. Some people, you know, there, but there's other gatherings, right? There's Bible studies and there's, there's Wednesday nights. This is why we do multiple things that people can come and gather and hear the word of God. But he's saying, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. And even more so, and some have made a habit of this back then. That's what it means as a matter of some is. He said, some have made a habit of forsaking the gathering. See, and we deceive ourselves because we read, we, well, we probably don't even read that. We might just skip over that and we get to the parts that we like to hear. I'll let you meditate on that a minute. Proverbs 13, 13. He who despises the word will be destroyed. But he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. He who despises the word will be destroyed. Despises doesn't necessarily mean that you hate the word. It means that you just don't obey it. You don't pay any attention to it. You don't give it its due attention. I'm going to end with our Hebrew verse again. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All of us are going to give an account of our life Everything that we do and say is written down. We're going to give an account of it. And if we continually disobey, we're going to give an account of that. Angie, will you play? We're going to give an account on those things. You know, and, and, and I get it. There's a little bit, maybe it's a harder word tonight for some of you guys. I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm sweating up here really bad, but I'm also wearing a turtleneck. I, I just like to be true to the scripture. And this is specifically talking about the power of God's word to correct, to bring forth obedient children of God, not the disobedient generation of the Exodus. I just want to give you a chance to respond to this tonight wherever you're at if the Lord spoke something to you man receive it receive what he spoke to you tonight and repent of it turn away from it repentance is literally turning away it's like I'm not going to do that anymore God please forgive me thank you for showing me that in your word thank you for loving me enough to correct me God I thank you Lord that you love me so much that you correct me that you teach me. The second thing is, if, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is here tonight. The Bible said, if you will repent of your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
would just turn from your ways and ask the Lord to forgive you. He comes in like a mighty rushing wind. And he will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. And you can be made new. You can be a a new creation in Jesus Christ. All things have passed away. and Behold, all things become new. If you need a new, if you need to be a new creation tonight, if you need to say, Lord, I'm done living for myself. Just make that proclamation tonight to him. Maybe you've been far away from the Lord. Maybe you've been living life on your own. Just come back. Just return. Come to your senses as the prodigal did. Quit eating pig slop and come back to the Father. He's waiting with open arms. This is a specific tonight for correction, folks. When God corrects you, he loves you. And you need to receive it as a child. An immature child says, you hate me. And God says, oh, no, no, no. I correct you because I love you. Because I'm doing something in you. I'm bringing forth a vessel for the finer. I have great things for you to do. I got big things. I got big plans for you. I want to make you whole and I want to make you new. Let me correct you. He loves you. Receive correction and say, thank you, Father, for loving me that much. Lord, I thank you for this word, God. Lord, correct your children, Lord. That we would be holy as he is holy. And all our ways lead us and guide us and direct us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of all forgiveness, Lord. We just give you praises and glory and honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for coming tonight. Thanks for joining us online. Church Sunday, 9 and 11. Be there. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.